time waits for no one, the old folk saying goes. Ben Franklin said, lost time is never found again. Steve Jobs says, it's really clear that the most precious resource we all have is time. Pastor Rick Warren says, time is your most precious gift because you only have a set amount of it. J.R.R. Tolkien says, all we have to decide is what to do with the time given us. C.S. Lewis writes that the future is something which everyone reaches at a rate of 60 minutes an hour. Whatever he does, whoever he is. Time is what we want most, but what we use worst, stated William Penn. And just for good measure, Dr. Seuss. How did it get so late so soon? It's night before it's afternoon. December is here before it's June. My goodness, how the time has flown. How did it get to be late so soon? Solomon wrote in Ecclesiastes 3, 1 and 2, there's a season for everything and a time for every event under heaven, a time to be born, a time to die, a time to plant, and a time to uproot what was planted. We talked today about taming time in our Inbox Zero sermon series. Taming time. Next week, we'll talk about the values that guide us, and then uh, two weeks from now on Labor Day, we'll talk about next steps. You remember they're out on the wall there. It seems like forever ago I preached those in January and February. I mean, it is March 176th right now, right? Okay, I thought that was funnier than that. I counted up. It really is March 176 today. I think I got that right. Now you're going to your calendar apps, adding 31, 30, 31. Did he get that right? Yeah. But our scripture memory verse for the month, we'll put that on the screen and recite that together. It reminds us of the underlying idea of our Inbox Zero sermon series, and it's why we do what we do in the principles and values, the purpose behind how we live our life. Let's say that together. Matthew 6, 33. But seek first His kingdom and His righteousness, and all these things will be given to you as well. Matthew 6, 33. Let's pray. God, I do pray that that would be true of us, that we would seek you first, your kingdom, which means your will, your plans, your principles, and your righteousness, which we cannot attain on our own because our righteousness is as filthy rags, but can only be given to us by the blood that Jesus shed. And that we come before you as your servants, seeking to live our lives as you would have us live. So God, speak to us through these words this morning, that we might understand how we might tame the time we've been given. It's in Jesus' name we pray, and everyone said, Amen. Well, I use a phrase like taming time because obviously alliteration, right? The T and the T. And maybe because it's cliche, taming time, but you think about what it means to tame something. Some things are easier to tame than others. We have a golden doodle. He's domesticated. He's friendly. He's relatively smart. And I think if we trained him more, we were having this debate yesterday, he'd know more smart things. As it is, he can do a few cute tricks and, you know, he likes people and that's good for Hudson. But if you had a lion, for instance, 
that's a whole other thing because the golden doodle might could bite you and hurt you, but the lion can kill you, right? And if you're going to tame a lion, that's a whole other set of skills and time and investment and involvement. And is it ever really tame? I don't know how you think about your time, more like my golden doodle or more like the lion on the savanna. But when we think about taming time, there's four steps I want us to consider. And the first one, and that's on your outline, and it'll be on the screen there as well, is that to tame time, I must be practical. Practical, pragmatic. I mean, we've got to honestly consider that there's a finite amount of time. We all have the same amount, and it's how are we going to use it, right? And so if you're going to your Bible, and I pray that you have a copy of God's Word with you, either paper or electronically, would you turn with me to Ephesians chapter 5? And I know this is a topical type sermon where we're taking uh, scriptures from here and there to help back up our points, but I believe if you read the context around, you'll see we're not mishandling them at all. Notice what it says there in Ephesians chapter 5, verse 15. Paul says, be very careful then how you live, not as unwise, but as wise. Your Bible may actually say not as foolish, but as wise, making the most of every opportunity because the days are evil. Therefore, do not be foolish, but understand what the Lord's will is. Walk back through that quickly. Be very careful In other words, pay attention, be mindful, don't be willy-nilly, don't just blow it, be considerate of it. Not being foolish, but being wise. And you remember the difference between a foolish person and a wise person is when they're confronted with truth. How do they respond to that? The foolish person always makes excuses, it's never their fault, and that's not the truth, and I'm going to seek to change it. Whereas the wise person says, you know what, that's right, I'm wrong, I need to be the one to change because of that truth. Don't be foolish with your use of time. Make the most of every day. Now, when it says that the days are evil, it literally doesn't mean that the days are evil, like they're out to get you, or anything like that. What it means is because there's a limited amount of time, and because we and our human nature are sinful, and because the devil is the prince of the power of the air in this world, the days are evil. They're finite. They're running away from us. So don't be foolish, it says there in verse 18. There's a solution too as well. Look back on verse 8. But understand what the Lord's will is. So Paul tells you there, if you want to live wise in the use of your time, you don't want to be foolish because the days are evil, then what should you do? Understand what the Lord's will is. And as believers in Jesus, we know how to do that, right? It's right here. When you spend time daily in God's Word, you know God. You know His values. You know how He lives, how He's pushing us forward. His desire, and you know His desire for your life. That's how you understand. So the question asks... What time management principles do I practice? So if we're using this idea of being practical with our time in a colloquial sense, and then I'll use that phrase time management principles because you see those in the workplace and books you'd read. And uh, I don't know, what sort of time management principles do you practice? Well, you, you make lists, you calendar things, you think about priorities and think about planning things and how you're going to do it. 
You might say, well, I can even multitask, um, sort of. Uh, you know, I have an app on my phone that helps me prioritize things and do things and checklists, and I tell Siri to remind me of stuff. Yeah, you can do all that. But let's get some help from a broader view, and that's uh, Stephen Covey. You remember what's 20, 30 years ago he wrote um, uh, his famous book. And he talked about the generations of time management. And he, Covey says there's four. The first generation of time management is about notes and checklists. It's a semblance of recognition and order is what he says. The second generation of time management, according to Covey, is about calendars and appointment books. And it's an attempt not just to think about what's happening today, but plan ahead for what's happening tomorrow and to work our way backwards and be thoughtful about that. The third generation of time management is from his seven habits of highly successful people and other books like it, and that adds the importance of prioritizing those events, clarifying your values, comparing worth, in addition to the idea of setting goals so that you might say, okay, if I want to accomplish that by this time, here's all the steps I've got to do to get there in order to make that happen. Then Covey adds, but being efficient isn't enough. And there's really a fourth generation of time management that's now about us, but it's really a misnomer because as we found out from our other Inbox Zero sermons, it's not so much about managing time or managing money as it is about managing ourselves. To consider the relationships and the results of how we spend our time, how we spend our money, how we spend our resources, and those ideas of time management. And for us as Christ followers, it's not unlike anything else in our life. It's how we determine how we spend our life based on Scripture, confronting distractions, setting our priorities, all that flows from Scripture. So first, to tame time, I've got to be practical. Second, to tame time, I've got to be purposeful. Purposeful, to live our lives on purpose. Now, that's over in Psalm 90, Psalm 90, verse 12. So if you got your Bible there and you want to turn with me, or if you're in the YouVersion app, you've already got that there for you. If you don't already use that YouVersion app for our sermon notes, that's a great resource because the Scriptures are built in. You can write yourself notes. You can share things. It's wonderful. But in Psalm 90, verse 12, what's it say? Teach us to number our days aright that we may gain a heart of wisdom. Number our days, right? There's only a certain amount of them, and we know that on average we might live to 70 or 80 years. We know, Lord willing, you know, uh, various events will happen in the course of our life as we mature. But what does he say there first? Teach us. Teach us is a humble position. Teach us is me saying to God, God, I don't know. God, you do know. God, I'm finite. God, you're infinite. God, I'm fallible. God, you're infallible. So I'm going to humble myself before you, the God of the whole universe, and say, even how I spend my time, God, will you teach me in a purposeful way to manage my time? And that begs the question, that second question on your outline, what values guide how I spend my time? For you personally, right now in your life, um, how do you decide? If you decide at all, I mean, some of us just kind of go through life responding to what happens to us, and it's kind of easy to do that, right? I'm supposed to be here, and I'm supposed to do this, so that's where I'm at, and this is what I'm doing. 
You know, and this problem comes to me, so I've got to solve this problem. And, and we spend our lives managing crisis and responding to things that are urgent but not necessarily important versus thinking ahead to things that are important though not urgent. Richard Swenson in his book Margin, which I would highly commend that book Margin to you. Swenson is a medical doctor and a Christ follower. And he looked at all the symptoms such as heart disease and stress and other things that his family practice patients were having. And he said... There's got to be something else going on behind the scenes here. And he looked deeper. It was going on. And so then he wrote this book called Margin. He defines margin as the space between our loads and our limits, right? I experienced that as a cyclist, that I know if I'm climbing a hill and I'm watching my heart rate, I don't have a power meter, but I watch my heart rate and I know I can only hold it so high for so long before I blow up and that I can't hang with the people in front of me or can't get to the top of the hill as I want. You know that in your life. You know that you can go so hard for so long with the energy you have. You know that you need to take a rest. You know that you need to get something to eat. You know that you can only take so much stress. That load and the limit, Swenson talks about. Swenson says the marginless lifestyle and the resulting chronic time pressure are particularly devastating to our relationships, to self, to family, to others, to God. What he's pointing to is we've got to make some margin in our time. We, based on biblical values as Christ followers, such as cultivating a personal love relationship with Jesus, we do that through spending time in the Word and prayer, with growing relationships with other Christ followers, with growing relationships with those that are not yet followers of Christ, that we might build a bridge that can bear the weight of the gospel, that we can share the life of Jesus with them, and they might trust Jesus as their personal Savior and Lord too. To tame time, we've got to be purposeful, we've got to be practical, and the third point on your outline, we've got to be intentional. Intentional. Now, that takes us back to the New Testament in 2 Corinthians chapter 9. So, if you turn to 2 Corinthians chapter 9 with me, and you see what Paul has to write there. He says, And God is able to make all grace abound to you, so that in all things, at all times, Having all you need, you will abound in every good work. God's able to make everything you need, when you need it, how you need it. He's not stingy. He makes all grace abound. Everybody say all grace. grace. Say it again, all grace. grace. God makes all grace abound to you. So that in all ways, at all times, having all you need... What was the last phrase there in verse 8? That you will abound in every good work. We think about using our time intentionally because as followers of Jesus, we know that God has a purpose and a plan for us that we might not even expect. That yes, we're going to do the best job we can at our jobs, because we know that everything we do is working unto the Lord. Yes, we're going to do the best we can with our families because we know God's given them as us, uh, to us as a trust to manage. Yes, we're going to follow Him and we're going to make time for those things to happen and not try to rush too hard. But it begs the question, and that third question, what prescriptions for time management should I take? If you're sitting here now, like me, and you're convinced that, "Mm, yeah, I don't spend my time as well as I should, 
practically, how can you help me out here, Pastor? Well, let's go back to what Swenson says in margin. Swenson gives a couple of prescriptions. He says the first one is expect the unexpected. You know, every battle plan never survives past first contact, right? Things are going to happen, so expect the unexpected. Second, Swenson says, learn to say no. He quotes Anne Lamott, who says that no is a complete sentence. Number three, turn off your electronic devices. You turn off your television, you turn off your iPad, you turn off your laptop. You do something like that, you're going to find all sorts of time you didn't know that you had. The average adult spends 20 to 30 hours a week on such devices for leisure purposes, not work. Think about what you could do with 20 to 30 hours a week of your time. Fourth, prune the activity branches. As things spread out and uh, you and your family get more and more activities. Five, practice simplicity and contentment. That has to do with your time, but also your uh, possessions. Six, separate time from technology. It's been said in Africa that you Americans have all the watches, but we have all the time. There's a difference between the way we spend our time and our values for other people and God versus getting stuff done. And there are others that Swenson mentions. He says, get less done, but do the right things. He says, if you're type A, stand in line on purpose. In other words, create some margin in your time. Don't schedule one thing on top of the other because something's uh, surely going to go wrong with number one, and then you'll be late to number two and late to number three and all the knock-on effects. Build in some margin. Plan for free time, Swenson tells us. Be available to others. These are prescriptions that we can all consider taking. So when we continue with our fourth and final taming of time. We talked about practical, purposeful, intentional. Now the fourth one, you might expect, I'm the pastor. Here it goes, biblical, right? John 11. So if you're in the gospel of John, you're going to assume it's Jesus and you would assume correct. John 11, chapter 9, verses 9 and 10. This is when Jesus' friend Lazarus passed away and Jesus waited on purpose rather than going quickly. Now, Jesus had the greater purpose to know that he was going to raise Lazarus from the dead rather than just heal him before he was dead and raise him four days dead. Look at what Jesus says there. Are there not 12 hours of daylight? A man who walks by day will not stumble, for he is seen by this world's light. It is when he walks by night that he stumbles, for he has no light. Now, there's two purposes I use that for right here. One, you've got to make hay while the sun shines. The practical, pragmatic, everyday kind of cliche thing that all of us know, when it's time to go to work, you do your work. When it's time to be at home, you're at home. That you have times for different things because that's what they're allotted to. But the other one is that deeper meaning of God's will and understanding God's will, the light versus the days are evil, the darkness and your sinfulness, the darkness versus submitting yourself to God. We've got to think biblically about time management, and that leads us to a fourth and final question. How do I engage the Bible for life change? Well, how do you engage the Bible? First, it assumes that you are engaging the Bible, but second, a little deeper, how do you engage it for life change? Well, you've got to spend time developing your relationship with God, seeking to know Him, seeking to understand Him, and you can do that different ways. Maybe you're a coffee person, so you drink your coffee while you read Scripture. Maybe you're somebody who likes to write, so you write in a journal as you read Scripture. 
Maybe you're somebody who likes to sing. You sing songs to Jesus that are based on Scripture. Maybe you just want to be alone and focus, so you get away somewhere and focus on Scripture. Maybe you love to memorize. You memorize and meditate on Scripture. You walk, you run, you ride, you do whatever. All of those things, any of those things you can do as you focus your heart on Jesus and learning who God is and the love relationship He wants to have with you through Scripture. So how you spend your time is up to you. Correction. How you spend God's time that He's given to you should really be up to God. Not unlike the way we considered financial stewardship last week that I kept saying, oh wait, it's God's money. We should be thinking of God's time. So you have to then seek God to know what He's called you to do, what He's equipped you to do, what He's empowered you to do. And He doesn't control you. So you're going to have to make decisions on how you tame your time. You've got to choose to spend time with Him and then to obey Him and follow Him, to submit to Him and honor Him. Let's pray. God, our Father, we thank You that Your Word helps us understand any aspect of life, even how we use our time. And that You care for what we do, how we do it, and why we do it. So, Father, it's our prayer that when we think of this precious commodity of time and the focus and energy that we spend in the midst of it wisely and help us to order our days and spend our time wisely in submission to you, that our prayer would start with, teach me, Lord, as we humbly come to you. And Father, if there's anyone that hears my voice today in this room or online, that needs to trust Jesus as their Savior, that needs to take a step further as a follower of Jesus and submitting some area of their life to you today. We pray that they would do that and they'd let us know so we might pray for them, encourage them, and help them. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.